Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. All right, please welcome my guest, D. Mills, for the second time on Pushing Boundaries. D. Mills is a Caribbean American. He was raised in Brooklyn, New York City during the 90s in a single-parent household. Under the mentoring hand of myself and the late, great Andrew Moore, D. Mills was successfully able to navigate those adverse times. He is now a mentor, youth developer, public healer, and a life ambassador with the mission of improving the mental toughness and self-sustainability for this generation and many to come. Welcome, D. Mills. Yo, what's going on, Ruck? D. Mills on the airways, man. Once again, thanks for having me back. I'm excited, man. I'm always excited to, you know, collaborate with you and spread some of the knowledge, you know, to the listeners and to the people out there in general. So uh, what you got for me today? Let's go. So D Mills, I just want to say, are you a black man? Yes, sir. Would you tell us what that means and who you are? Well, what it means to 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 be a black man, is, is that what you... To be with, you. With the court, As, to be to, you. Oh, to be... To be to, you. To be me. Yeah, so I mean, to be me is 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 very simple and very straightforward. You know, I'm I'm just an individual that you know try to hold myself accountable and hold those around me accountable. I don't deal with excuses. You know, it is very black and white for me. You know, it, it is what it is. Is either you're doing it or you're not doing it. It's either you're trying or you're not trying. It's either you're quitting or you're not quitting. You know, there's no in-betweens, you, you know, for me. Either you're living your truth or you're living a lie and you're trying to force other people to live that lie with you, right? So um, for me, like I said, again, man, it's, it's very straightforward. That's, the, that's how I try to, you know, live my life. And I just try to bring the best out of other people um, while still simultaneously trying to bring the best out of myself. So that's pretty much who I am in, in a nutshell. All right. All right. So, you know, the first question I have for you today, you know, we're doing a series on um, black men. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to capture the narratives of of black men in terms of their personal stories. Um, and I want to start today with um, just saying that all of these conversations are, are, are anchored in two articles or three articles that I, I shared with you earlier. Um, and, and oftentimes we find that there are public perceptions that are often incorrect of in terms of who black men represent. And so we want to really tell an authentic story today through you um, sharing with us. I want to start with the first question. And what's not true about you as a black man? Um, so what's not true about me as it pertains to the, the narrative that's yes. painted yes. Uh, um, towards black men and the stereotypes? Yes. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> well, what's not true, one, is um, violent. I'm not a, I'm not a violent person <laughs> at all. Like anyone that knows me knows that um, I'm I'm very much a very laid back, um, chilled, even killed, just ultimately easygoing personality. 
Um, I've been accused in a lot of cases to, to be a little too calm and a little too chill um, to the to the point that, you know, uh, there's some folks that that question the amount that I actually care about things. Right. Because I'm just so laid back. So that's one thing. Right. Um, another thing I would say is uh, there's this narrative and there's this this thought that black men aren't well spoken. Um, so that wouldn't apply to me, obviously, you know, you know, this, our second time going, going around in one of these discussions, there's another narrative, you know, that, that floats around about, um, black men just being nothing more than entertainers, Mm. right. For being more physical specimens. So, you know, being more the group that excels in like sports, right. Or anything physical, anything to do with their hands, like engineering and, you know, um, construction, like manual physical labor, right, is typically what we're associated with. I couldn't be f- the furthest thing from that. Like, I can't fix anything. Um, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm good in sports, but, you know, that that's not what I'm defined by. My biggest gift and asset is my mind and my uh, ability to articulate myself, right? So um, those are just a few things that you know, sets me apart from that, that narrative and sets me apart from, um, those, those skewed versions of, of, of who we are as black men. Now, let me ask you, have you, um, uh, been confronted with situations or scenarios or, um, events that have, uh, potentially labeled you or perceived you the wrong way? And can you share those events and how you navigate, how'd you navigate those? Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> so, all right. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you one. Actually, I'll give you two, two quick ones. So, um, a couple of years ago, um, I was, I was driving here in New York city. Right. And, um, it's a nice day out. So I said, you know what, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go ahead and park the car and bring out the motorcycle. So, you know, you and I, you know, ride the same bike or, or what have you, the same brand. And, um, parked up the car, brung out the bike, riding the bike. And one of the main roads, you know, here in Brooklyn, you know, for some of the listeners that are familiar with, you know, New York City and Brooklyn, I wanted to make a turn onto Atlantic Avenue. So I'm waiting at the light to make the left turn at Atlantic Avenue. And long story short, you know, two police officers, right, pull up um, in an unmarked vehicle. And typically here in the city, they, they use uh, the Chevy brand cars. This one was an unmarked, uh, Honda Accord, which was very surprising to me. The doors fly open. The car is perpendicular to my bike, basically blocking my ability to, you know, go left or go right. Right. And the doors fly open and these two, two guys hop out guns drawn guns to my head, uh, to my helmet. Right. And they couldn't see my face because the shield or the visor on the helmet was tinted. Right. So they couldn't see my eyes. So guns are out. So I'm thinking I'm being robbed for my motorcycle. Wow. Right. So um, here it is. These these two, you know, Caucasian males, guns drawn out or whatever. And they're telling me to turn my bike off and get the H off the bike. They're saying get the hell off the bike or whatever the case is, so on and so forth. And I'm like, no, not doing it. And it's broad daylight. This is roughly about two or three o'clock in the afternoon on the summer, you know, on the summer day. Right. Wow. Next thing you know, while this is happening, a third person slowly gets out of the car and it's, you know, officer that has his badge showing. So the first two jump out the vehicle 
and they don't have their badge showing, not visible to me. I don't know who they are, what they're doing, what's going to happen to me, none of the above, right? So the third one gets out, and I could see that he had his badge visible, right? And he goes, turn the bike off, this bike is stolen. And I'm like, that can't be because you and I both know the brand of bike that we have is really rare, and most guys don't ride that style of bike. That's right. Right? So, and specifically mine, because mine was a burnt amber, a burnt amber orange. So, you know, long story short, basically they accused me of stealing this bike, which obviously was mine. I had all of the paperwork in the trunk of the bike, right? And at this at this moment, they're very combative and they're waving the guns around. And this is, you know, roughly about 2016, 2016. So, you know, cell phones and cameras and everyone is kind of filming this thing. Um, and uh, and there was a very, you know, heated exchange you know, between myself and the officer because he's waving a gun in my face. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, this is my, this is my vehicle. You asked me for the paperwork. I'm giving you the paperwork and you're still waving a weapon in my face. Right. So, so at this point, I'm like, I'm, I made, I made the the effort to just say, you know what, I'm going to show him what he's going to show, show, show him what I need to show him and move on. Right. So I give him I, I'm going through the paperwork to give him the the piece of paperwork that shows that the bike is mine, but I also had two cars at the time, right? So he snatched all of my paperwork and he's going through the paperwork and he goes, oh, are these the other vehicles that you stole? And I'm like, so I'm stealing vehicles and paperwork to the vehicles and it just happens to have my name. So I laughed at him, right? So now he's pissed off or, or what have you. And he puts the gun to my temple and started pressing, you know, pressing against my helmet. And his partner goes, don't do it. Look over your shoulder. And then he looks and there's about six people in front of the gas station with the phones out recorded. Wow. And then, and then he goes, he goes, oh, you're lucky. I goes, hmm. I've been known to be a little lucky. And I laughed at him again. Right. So he puts the gun down. The guy comes back from the other, the third cop that had his badge out, comes back from running his my ID and, and things along those lines. And he goes, oh, he was right. He's clean. And then they say, get the F out of here like that and kick my bike. Right. They kicked my bike over. Wow. And uh, they, they sped away before I could get the license plate. Right. Um, to, to file a complaint and they didn't have their badge, you know, their badge numbers out and stuff like that at the time. So that's just one thing that's happened, you know, to, you know, to me. And there's been also, you know, situations and professional work environments. I don't want to, you know, put the companies, you know, on blast, but this was in my earlier twenties at some previous companies that I worked for. Um, there were instances at work where, um, there were some derogatory, you know, statements made towards me, um, you know, for being a man of color um, mm. and being in the position that I was in um, and, and, and management positions. Right. And um, some some critical statements were made, you know, calling me out of my name, you know, saying the N word, you know. Um, is so, this, yeah, is I, this I, publicly I, is this is this was this public or was this like like a, a like a mumbling under the breath or in passing? This oh, no, this was this was. And, a, and, and about an, as public as it could get. It was, was in a, it was in a cafeteria of one of the companies that I worked for. Yeah. So this is an intentional confrontation. Yeah, because this 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 person uh, apparently was upset that I was at the time twenty five years old, 
um, and offered a promotion to a position that he wanted and they decided not to present to him. And this gentleman at the time was, I believe, about six years older than me. And um, he felt that he was more qualified than me for the role. Um, just do share to his age. He had he had a degree. I have a degree. And, you know, he's experienced. I'm experienced. He's productive. I'm productive. Um, but for whatever reason, he just thought he was a better fit than me. So he felt the need to take jabs at me and try to make it sound like I was less than because of the color of my skin and uh, called me the N-word. Wow. So let, let's go back. Let's go back to the police stopping. In that situation, uh, how, how do you, how, how do you, um, what would you recommend um, how other men should handle that situation? I mean, it seems it was very intimidating. It was threatening and it was, it was life threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you yeah, suggest that-, that they should resolve that? <laughs> so uh, if, if, if you could give me a couple minutes, let me, I just want to tell you how and why. Um, I dealt with it the way that I did. And this this is to answer your question about what other, you know, men of color should do if they um, find themselves in one of those compromising positions. Right. So how I learned to keep my cool in those situations, how, you know, where did that come from? So for me, that came from my upbringing again. I, you know, in a previous episode, I kind of credited my mom for teaching me a lot of things growing up. Right. One of those things that she did teach me and put a huge, huge emphasis on when I was growing up, you know, in the nineties being that it was super violent, a lot of gang activity going on and a lot of, you know, things that shouldn't have been going on in those neighborhoods at the time, but it was right. Um, she prepared me on how to deal with the cops. So what she did was there was a movie uh, that some of the listeners, listeners may be familiar with, uh, called set it off. Right. So Jada Pinkett Smith was in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And also Queen Latifah, um, amongst a few others. Right. So there's a scene in the movie where, uh, Queen Latifah's brother in the movie, I believe he was coming from a party of some sort. Right. I think it was like a frat party or something. He was away at college and he had a a tan brown overcoat. Right. And in his left, I believe it was his left breast pocket. If I remember correctly, he had a, a small bottle of alcohol. So something happened in the area at one of the parties, the cops rushed in, they were stopping everyone. They ordered him to get down on the ground. Right. Basically, uh, he gets down on the ground and because he can't lay flat, right. With his hands spread away from his body, he tries to bring his hand into his overcoat to bring, you know, to remove the bottle of alcohol so he could lay flat and abide by the commands of the police officers. They think that he's reaching for a concealed weapon and they proceed to like shoot him in his back while he's laying on the floor trying to give himself up. Right. So my mother used that specific scene of the movie to show me, hey, son, this is what's going to happen to you should you get stopped by the police and you do not listen to their orders and their commands. And should you ever bring your hands to your body, never bring your hands to your body. Keep your hands visible at all times. Listen to what they're saying. Live to see another day. That was her message. Right. And that's how a lot of um, parents of color, you know, coach their sons. Right. Um, On how to deal with the police. Right. And that's what I would advise for, you know, any man of color. You know, um, I understood that, you know, where I was at the time in terms of the the motorcycle stopping uh, incident, I understood where I was. I was in a certain part of Brooklyn and I understood that, you know, Men of color in that area are targets of 
law enforcement, right? And I knew it would have done me no good to be, you know, physically aggressive or jerk away from them or, you know, do anything physical towards them, right? Because we wouldn't be having this conversation now, most likely, right? So, um, so yeah, so I, I was fully aware of that and I knew that they were coming from a place of stereotyping me, right? Mm. And I understood that, right? So, um, my responsibility to myself was to maintain my composure to get out of there in one piece, right? Mm. And that's what I would encourage any male of color to remember at the end of the day, look, you're being profiled, yes. Is it disrespectful? Yes. Is it disgusting? Yes, right? But that is not the right time for you to lash out and risk your life and risk your well-being and, you know, put yourself in a situation where you're no longer here and your family has to move on without you. Mm. Right. So it has to you you have to keep those things in mind. And although it's the worst feeling ever, you know, you suck it up and you navigate that situation, you get out of the situation and then you make every possible effort to change that, whether that's educating your, your fellow black young men, whether that's, you know, volunteering to, you know, police um, events to, to speak to police and give them your viewpoint, whether it's, you know, uh, coaching the youth on, you know, interactions with, you know, law enforcement, whatever it is, make every effort to try to lessen that type of occurrence. Mm. Could you tell us how you dealt with how do you recommend dealing with the um, the discrimination you felt at work? Um, again, just understanding that a lot of cultures um, for a long time is changing now, right? Uh, because of all of the diversity that we have, specifically in the major cities um, around the world, right? All of the, the larger major cities around the world are much more diverse than they've, than they've ever been. Uh, I travel a lot. So, you know, that's something that I can speak to specifically. Right. And, um, but for the most part, there's a lot of folks that come from areas where the diversity is not that great. Right. So they are unfamiliar to, um, to people of color. They don't understand people of color. Right. Um, and all they have to go off of is the, uh, pre-existing narratives and stereotypes that they're presented with from early on in life. Right. So that's how they interact with us. Unfortunately, when they, when they meet us. Right. And I just feel like it's my responsibility and anyone else within my culture's responsibility for us to continue to display our good and our strong qualities while minimizing anything that highlights that negative pre-existing narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I just want to ask you, I want to push back a little bit. Are you, are you saying that, um, that black men have to be perfect? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm saying be aware, right? Be aware, be understanding of what a lot of people may see you as, right? Understand where they're coming from, right? And don't play into the, you know, into that narrative. Don't make matters worse, right? So for example, I I understood what, what those officers were trying to do, right? I understood, but I also understood what they expected me to do, 
Mm. Right. So I knew not to do what they expected me to do. Right. And the same thing in the work situations where, you know, I was treated and spoken to a certain type of way. I knew what they were trying to, what type of reaction they wanted from me. Right. But I didn't give them that. Right. And that's one scenario that they can refer back to and they could say, you know what? Here was a situation where this person had every reason and opportunity to act like the stereotypical black man or angry, violent black man. And he didn't. So perhaps all of these men are not that way. Right. So now when they meet you, Sharif, right? And, oh, well, you know, maybe maybe he's like the other guy, right? Maybe he's like D. Maybe, you know, he's um, not aggressive. Maybe he is well-spoken, right? And that's something that we owe to each other. And one thing that I would love for our co- culture to do less of is promoting the bad narratives about us, Right? ourselves it's bad enough that the media portray us in a certain way we do ourselves collectively as a unit no favors by adding to that narrative by doing things to each other and then making it public right like on these like you know doing violent acts against each other making violent acts against each other recording it and then posting it Right now, I'm not saying other cultures don't do that. I'm not saying it because everyone has their issues. But I just want our group to understand that, hey, we're operating from a different deficit than everyone else. So whereas those folks can do certain things, other cultures can do certain things and no one bats an eye and no one makes a big story about it. We don't get that same courtesy. We don't get that same luxury. So be aware of the type of content that you're pumping out against yourselves, right? Because that's ultimately what allow other groups to take advantage of us and walk all over us because the narrative has been painted. And then even worse, or even more importantly, that narrative is in some ways being upheld by us, right? So- it almost gives it some credibility. So I just I just want, you know, as, as many men and women of color out there to really let that sink in and really understand, you know, their responsibility, not only to themselves, but to the culture. OK, let's let's switch gears here. What is true about you? Uh, elaborate on that. What, what, what do you mean? So. You, you told us that we're not, you know, in terms of the, the, the narratives that are being pushed out of the media, you've already spoken against those and said that you're not that. So who are mm-hmm. you? What do you represent? Who are you today? What, what, are, what are some well, of your attributes in terms of that makes you special? Well, my, my strongest act, attribute is my, my ability to communicate. My mind is definitely my, my, my strongest asset. Um, I'm a very unique thinker. I, I can see things from multiple different uh, viewpoints. Um, I'm a very helpful and caring person. Um, and I'm extremely creative. So, you know, there's a narrative about, you know, people of color that, you know, we're, you know, gifted in terms of, you know, being able to create and move things forward and kind of we possess a certain charisma about us as a people. And that part is very much true 
about me, right? So um, there are certain things that, you know, um, are associated with us as, 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 as color, you know, as people of color or black people. And um, some of those things are true, like, you know, in terms of creativity, in terms of energy, in terms of, you know, charisma, um, you know, in terms of likability, right? Um, those type of things, yes, uh, definitely apply to me. So go and tell us a little bit about what you do today. What's your career about and what are you engaged in? Well, in terms of my day job or, or like what job. I'm working on. Tell I, give I, us not, let's, well, let's even go for it. Let's talk about, let's give us your day job and give us your life in general. What happens when you get up in the morning? What is your day like? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so my day, typically I'll, I'll get up anytime between five and five 30 for the most part um, during, during the weekdays. Right. And, um, so for the most part out of seven days, that happens about four days out to seven where I'm up at about five, five 30. And the reason why I want to do that is because I get up and before I do anything, right, I, I need about 30 to 45 minutes to myself. That's something that I've been doing for almost two years now. And that's allowed me to personally develop at a rapid rate. Right. So, the thing is, in the morning, I'll get up at, you know, about that hour, about five or so. Right. And for the first 30 to 45 minutes, I don't touch anything. I don't I don't turn on the television. I don't touch my cell phone. I don't check any messages, text messages, nothing of the above. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no interaction with the world at all. I, I do live by myself. So my situation allows for that. I know it, it'll be a little different for, you know, people that have families and stuff like that. So if you do have a family, um, I would encourage, you know, depending on the schedules of you and your spouse or, you know, whatever your responsibilities are to see if you could, you know, steal, you know, an extra 20 minutes for yourself or 30 minutes for yourself in the morning prior to everyone else waking up. You know, I want to challenge the folks out there to do so. And here's why. So I'll do that. Right. And I have that time to myself and it's just me and my own thoughts, right? It's me being clear about the things that I want to pursue, me thinking about, you know, ways to execute on things that I want to accomplish, right? And then also it allows me the opportunity to either listen to one of my favorite speakers for positive enrichment, right? Or it allows me the, the, the time to read whatever book I may be reading, whether, you know, books that I've, I've been reading as of late um, is Quiet Mind, Epic Life, um, uh, Outwitting the Devil, um, Sapiens. These are a few books that I've been reading as of late. So to allow that time that I'm waking up early before I do anything else allows me the opportunity to read you know, two or three chapters. So I select like some mornings I switch it up. You know, I'm, I'm a Gemini, so I need variety. Right. So, you know, some mornings I wake up, I, I'll read two or three chapters. There's other mornings I'll wake up, you know, I'll listen to 30 minutes of, you know, one of my favorite, you know, inspirational or motivational speakers. Right. And then there's some mornings I, I don't want to read or hear anyone speak. I'll literally just listen to an instrumental, right. Just the beat of, you know, of a song, I'll just listen to that and just, you know, sit or lay in complete darkness. Cause when you get up at that time, the sun is not up just yet. Right. And, and just let my energy just flow. 
and and it just sets a positive vibe and a positive tempo for my day before I interact with any other thing that's human related, right? So now I have myself centered. I have myself fresh and ready to roll and ready to encounter whatever is about to be thrust at me throughout the course of my day, right? So now that I have that balance and I have that foundation after that, that's the mind, right? That's the mind and the spirit. So after that, right, now that my spirit, my mind, and my energy is in line, right, now the next thing I do is I'll fuel up, I'll have breakfast, right, and I head out to the gym to take care of the body aspect, right? So now I head to the gym, nothing long, just 40, 40 minutes to 45 minutes of, of movement, whether that's swimming, whether that's, you know, treadmill work, whether that's on the bike, um, you know, in the spring and summer months when we get the better weather, I'll rollerblade, whatever it is, I have physical activity, right, for 40 to 45 minutes in the morning, then shower, off to work. Whatever happens after that, any stresses at work, rolls off my back, whatever situation is going on, I'm just in a better physical state, mental state, and energy state to take on these things. So my outlook on the day is different, is more upbeat, is more positive. I'm not so quick to go into a negative mindset. I'm not so quick to be defensive, right? So I'm not triggered in these ways because my energy has already been channeled and focused from the time that I, that, um, I, 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 I rose from my sleep, right? So that's key, right? Then from there, uh, I currently, I am a sales director at um, Financial Times, right, for their money media division, which is their specialized publications uh, for their newsletter. And um, so I operate there during the day, during normal work hours. After that, um, you know, typically I'll go back to the gym to play basketball, you know, for an hour after work, you know, from about six to seven. From then, shower, eat, back home, and from roughly about 8 to 10.30, I'm working on new material. Um, I'm speaking with kids that I mentor. Um, I'm reading, you know, always doing something to, you know, positively, de- po- positively um, develop myself or those around me. So it's always a constant progression, if that answers your question. Okay, thank you for that. Now, tell us about what you do during a day. What kind of work do you do? What is that? Because um, you, you spoke about it uh, briefly, but what does that entail? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so pretty much um, being a director of sales of a of a um, a specialized publication at uh, Financial Times. So, the publication that I'm currently working on right now is. Um, it's called Life Annuity Specialist, right? So it's a publication specifically designed to inform the professionals that operate and function within the insurance space on, um, you know, laws and regulatory change. Um, we report on um, distribution. We report on technological changes and advancements um, within the insurance space. It's one of the older industries um, in the country. So now they are entering that tech, you know, age. Right. So we report on those things. We report on any type of mergers and acquisitions within the insurance space. Uh, we also report on, um, you know, uh, uh, strategic planning, corporate planning, uh, things along those lines. So all aspects of the insurance arena we report on and, you know, uh, have intel, intelligence 
um, on and we disseminate that information to um, or disperse that information uh, to, you know, the institutions and companies and, you know, providers that need that type of data to be at the top of their game in the insurance industry. Right. So it's just basically competitive intelligence is what we create and ultimately what we share through a online um, news publication. That's pretty much what we do. And I'm responsible for the sales and marketing aspect of that. So what is that? What is that? I mean, in terms of teaming, uh, what does that look like in terms of who works with you? And in terms of skills, what skills are you using to make that happen? Uh, skills, first and foremost, is communication. Um, after that is, um, another, a a lot of people really wouldn't see it this way, but, uh, being able to compromise and collaborate is another skill set, right? Because there's a lot of collaboration with everyone in marketing along with everyone and, um, you know, business development, uh, as well, right? Constant collaboration, um, you know, and you have to be able to check your ego at the door. Right. And be able to cleanly bounce ideas off of each other. Right. And come up with the best strategy and plans to grow the publication, because we are extremely important to the to the Financial Times brand, because ultimately what we do um, is make sure that all their new projects and new niche publications make it right. And they take off and become a success. If we fail, then that that publication is scrapped and the company just, you know, wasted X amount of resource resources on trying to um, develop a new product. Right. So what we do is very, 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 very important. Um, So communication is key. uh, Compromise is key. um, Collaboration is key in in that role. Okay, so I I know you you spoke about traveling and. that growing your your knowledge. We talked about this offline, and then you spoke to this uh, oh, at your previous absolutely. interview. So, just speak to you know the benefits of traveling and it, and it developing you as a person. Man, Sharif, travel is to me um, the single most. I, I I could be skipping over something, but I. Offhand, I will probably say it is the most important thing that any human could ever do. Um, and the reason why I say that is because through travel, um, specifically through solo travel, right, you learn things about yourself that it would be very difficult to learn under any other circumstance, if that makes sense, right? Because what you're ultimately doing when you travel outside of your comfort zone, outside of your birthplace, outside of the area that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with, right? You are forcing yourself to adapt, right? And adjust to people into a region that you are unfamiliar with, right? And whoever you really are at your core, ultimately comes up right so if you are a problem solver a problem solver that's going to come out straight away instantaneously right if you are someone that gets frustrated or flustered easy 
right? That's going to come out, right? Because you're unable to speak the language or, you know, you're unable to get, you know, strong enough Wi-Fi to use your, your, you know, your, 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 your GPS or whatever it is to get around or whatever type of compromising situation you find yourself in, it, it'll fluster you. It'll, you know, get you, you know, feeling anxious if that's who you really are at your core, right? If you're just a cool, calm, collected individual where nothing ruffles your feathers, that'll come out of you, right? Because you'll be in some weird, awkward situations and you'll notice, damn, you know what? Like, I ain't even get, you know, that didn't even bother me. Right. Like you will notice, notice that about yourself or you will see that you're a very high, strong, aggressive person. Whatever you really are at your core, these things will bubble up to the surface when you are thrown into unfamiliar territory. Mm. Right. And from there, you can learn how to grow and how to adjust and become a better, more productive version of yourself. Right. That's why I like travel. Right. Also, in addition to that, you get to learn about other people and other ways of living and other viewpoints of living. Right. So you have multiple perspectives, which allows you to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better friend, a better colleague, a better business partner, any type of relationship in between. You will be that much better in those relationships because now you are conditioning yourself to be able to see and acknowledge and be receptive to other viewpoints and other styles of living, Mm. if that makes sense. And that's the beauty of travel. Nice, nice. So tell tell us about one of the the best places you've visited so far that you remember the Um, most. Man, it's tough. I mean, I, I could break it down to regions for you because, um, I mean, every everywhere was just so different. So um, I could be a little biased because, you know, my roots go back to, you know, to Barbados. But Barbados is my favorite in the Caribbean um, for many reasons. The food, the culture, the people, just the temperament, very, very traditional, very laid back and loyal. The scenery is beautiful. The weather is obviously beautiful. Um, the music is amazing. It's just a great vibe, a really good energy. And just the whole island, the island, people don't notice, but it's smaller than Brooklyn, the Ooh. borough here in the cities. So Barbados is very small, right? Um, and uh, it's just a warm family feel to the entire country. Right. So if you ever wanted to go to a country and if and it just feels like everyone is family, that's one of the countries. So I would say Barbados. Now, that's for the Caribbean. If you travel to South America, my favorite country that I've been to in South America is Colombia for a lot of the same reasons. Very rich in culture, great food, amazing music, um, pretty diverse, um, rich history. Right. And very proud people um, there. Uh, the beaches are, are amazing, very much cost effective, right? The flight is super, super, um, you know, super fast. It's only about five hours to get there on a flight, five to five and a half hours on a, on a flight. Um, if you're flying from New York city, that is, that's where we are right now. Right. So from New York there on a direct flight is about five, five and a half hours. So, um, that's my favorite South American country, uh, favorite European location, 
Um, I would have to go with uh, Sweden. Hmm. Um, very out uh, is a, an amazing outdoor scenery. Amazing, just beautiful. The landscape is super dope. Tons of lakes, great fresh seafood because of it. Um, so if you're a big seafood person, that's amazing. Um, just the cleanliness of it, man. My God, like living in New York City, you go there, you could literally sleep on the curbs, on the sidewalk. Like the Scandinavian culture, they're very clean and pristine and very um, detail orientated. And it shows in all of their structures and just how they lay out everything, the design, the interior art and layout of everything, whether it's, you know, a coffee shop or, you know, some type of, you know, uh, store chain or what, what have you. Everything is just so meticulously put together. Right. So um, love Sweden. Um, Stockholm, uh, Stockholm and Gothenburg, two of my favorite cities in Sweden. Um, if not there, you go further east, I would say Thailand. Um, great weather very cost effective, extremely cheap. I'm, I'm speaking about one hour professional massages, no sketchiness, like, <laughs> like professional massages for one hour, six us, right? Six bucks us. Ooh, you can have a top of the line meal for about 13, 14 bucks, top of the line meal. Wow. Right. Um, you're, you're staying at places that would be the equivalent of the Ritz Carlton for about 45 bucks a night. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, for, for anyone out there listening, if you work remote full time and you know, you could deal with the reversed hours because you'll be working at night over there to work your U S hours. Even if you make 50 K a year USD, but you're full time remote, I would encourage you to go spend some time in Thailand because that money will go a hell of a long way over there. And the people are super nice, very accommodating, very rich in nature. Um, wildlife scenery is, it just is, 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 is a beautiful place. So those are some of my, my favorite locations that I traveled to. Now, listen, so you, you, you're doing some great things and, and you definitely uh, have a, a dynamic uh, uh, personality and, and a dynamic narrative. How did this become you? All of these experiences, how did you, first of all, learn to take risk? How did you learn mm-hmm. to um, uh, have uh, very diverse and, and, and um, opinions in terms of what you engage in? Like you, 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 you said you rollerblade and you, mm-hmm. you swim and you're doing things that are not typically normal for the, in terms of the media's prep, uh, uh, representation or perception of the black man. But how did you get mm-hmm. yourself involved in these activities? Uh, man, that's a very good question. Um, for as long as I can remember, I was always, um, engaged in physical, you know, physical activity and sports, which is very interesting because most people in my family, they're not in, into sports, right. Uh, for the most part on either side, to be honest with you, on my dad's side, on my mom's side. Um, so I am by far the most active and athletic person on both sides of my family, um, but what I, where I believe it came from is just early on, it was my way athletics, right. Anything physical activity, because I am the only child, that was my way in the beginning early on to make friends, right. And to build relationships and friendships, right. So it was through physical activity that, 
um, those friendships kind of grew early on. Now, being that I started that so young, it became conditioning and habit, right? So as I got older, you know, I went through, you know, um, high school sports, college sports, et cetera. So all of these things became a part of my fabric, became a part of my makeup. And I started to see the value and keeping your body in motion and also of, you know, the importance of being a teammate and being able to collaborate with others and trust others. And also sports taught me to not see color, right? Um, because you're, you're, you're teamed with, you know, people from all walks of life, right? Especially in college sports. So um, with all of these things, um, that's where it kind of originally came from, right? Now, as I became an adult, um, obviously because I've been conditioned and trained to, to have my body look a certain type of way and perform a certain type of way, that's something that I naturally kept up, you know, afterwards. And it was because I loved it so much. It became a part of me and who I am. Right. And all the while it still provided me with the opportunities to continue to build my network, right. To continue to have very close sincere, genuine, and loyal connections and friendships with folks, right? And this is since I've joined, for example, uh, you know, Chelsea Pierce Sports Center, right? Um, the network there is very strong. It's a, a family, you know, atmosphere, uh, uh, very much a community type of vibe, you know, for that facility is one of the best and largest facilities here in New York City, right? So, um, so even through that, you know, it kind of, you know, fostered, you know, those things, um, so that's where the physical part came from. Now, in terms of my ability to take a risk and, and, and just kind of gamble and, you know, just be fearless. Um, honestly, I just think that's a lot of who I am. That's just my personality because my mom is not a risk taker, man. Like she is probably the scariest person I know. She doesn't take chances. She doesn't gamble. She, she, she's afraid of planes. Like she's that person, right? Like, no, like she watches the news and it dictates her day. Oh, be careful out there, D like, you know, it's crazy folks out there. She's one of those. Right. So, um, she, she's very much afraid of the world. Right. Um, my father is, not that way, but he's not very outgoing in that way. He's not adventurous, right? So it's, I guess it's just a unique trait to me, um, to be honest. I didn't pick it up from anyone. My family, they're very much like, you know, traditional. They follow the previous generation and the previous generation. And, you know, a lot of them don't travel as much. But now because I travel and I'm doing a lot, the younger ones behind me, they're more curious and they want to go see different places. So the tr I, I set a new precedent and now those behind me are slowly eager to do the things that I've done so far. Right. So there's that. And in terms of the travel, that leads me to the travel aspect of it. Right. The travel aspect. This is this is real funny. Um, and I'll just leave you with this. Um, the travel aspect came from my love as a very young kid for, um, for animals. At one point I wanted to be a vet and, uh, be basically be an animal doctor. But then I realized quickly how much school I needed to do. I was like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. Right. But I had this, and still do to this day, this huge infatuation with animals, with wildlife. And, 
what I would always watch Discovery Channel, National Geographic, uh, Animal Planet, so on and so forth. Anything to do with wildlife and nature, I watched it. And of course, you know, these things are filmed all over the world, right? Australia, you name it, they, they film it. Africa, uh, you know, South America, all over the place, right? So through that, that's where the vision and the imagination came from. And this is what something I want everyone to take away from this. Your vision and your imagination is so key. It's so important to everything you want to do or accomplish in this life. Without an imagination, without a childlike imagination, let me say that, a childlike imagination, right? And without some type of vision in your mind, you will go nowhere. I promise you that. You will go nowhere. And it's because of those visions as a little kid, I'm speaking about five, six years old, seven years old, right? envisioning these places, I was always curious about what it would look like in person, what it would smell like in person and in conjunction and um, combination with, right. Those old school Atlas world books, like some of the older listeners that are around our age out there, they remember those Atlas world books. I would always look up those books because it would be broken down by country, right. And population and, all of these different details about the country. And I would read on all of these different countries and I would just envision what these countries would look like. Mm -hmm. And I told myself that when I became of age, I would go explore these places. And because I said that from so young, by the time I got into my, my early and mid twenties, it was almost as if I was already there, but I just had to go meet my spirit and my mind at that destination because my spirit and my mind had been there since I was seven years old. Wow. Right. But my physical body was still here in the States. So I just needed to take my physical body and go meet up with my, my, my soul and my spirit and my mind, which has already been there since I was a child. Mm. Right. And I, I could feel it. And I was just drawn to these places. Right. So it's a vision is a very powerful thing, man. You have to think it to the point where you could taste it. You could smell it. You could feel it. Right. You I, all of us always heard this. Put it this way. This is the best way. This is the best analogy I can give it to you real quick. Um, we always hear about the person that's such a gifted liar that they start believing their own lies. Right. That's what you need to become. Mm. You need to become that person. You need to become such a. Like such an imaginative person, such such a person that sees things, right, and envision things to the point where in your mind it's real. You already went there, right? Because then you're gonna end up there. Nice. Right. So it's literally that. Like you have to, you have to speak it into existence. Literally, we always hear it, but that's the best way I can compare it. Is that liar we all know or met at some point? It'd be like, man, this fool believe his own lies. That's what you got to do to yourself, basically. And that's going to motivate you to go. Well said, D. Mills. Well said. Thank you again for showing up on this show. You gave it to us again, Raw, and you gave us the jewels. And uh, I'm sure that the audience will be able to take away many uh, learnings from you and uh, to build on their lives, especially young men. And that is the purpose of this, to show very various narratives. And you show definitely extended a new narrative tonight for us. And we, we thank you for that. Um, do you want to do a plug? Yeah, definitely, man. So first and foremost, thanks again for having me. Um, I love doing these uh, doing these discussions, you know, because I, I think that, you know, 
if it could just touch one person out there, we're, we're, we're doing our job. Um, and I just hope that it could uplift as many people as humanly possible, you know, no matter what your background is, no matter what your color is, no matter, you know, if you're a male or a female, um, I just hope that there's, you know, portions of this, if not all of it that you can take away and, you know, and, uh, apply to yourselves out there for, for the listeners. Right. So that's first and foremost. Next for me, again, I'm brand new, you know, to the social media world. I've come out of my cocoon, so to speak. Right. Uh, so I'm currently on Instagram. You guys can find me at D Mills. That's D E E M E A L Z D Mills on Instagram. Uh, I post a lot of, you know, uplifting content there, videos, photos, quotes, you name it. It's on there working on my own personal podcast. That's going to be coming to you guys very, very, very soon. Um, also working on some in-person events that I'll be hosting on a monthly basis as well, where I'll have very open and candid discussions just like these, all of those, um, nuggets of information and details for set events will be on my IG page. Once again, it's at D Mills. So thank you guys for having me once again. Love everyone out there. We out. Come on now. You got to give me the yo. Yo. It's your boy, D-Mills, once again, folks. Enjoy the night. Enjoy the evening. Be safe out there and always be great and get better. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.